0: Exodus, Exodus chapter 14, Exodus 14, Dead End Deliverance, that'll be the title, Dead End Deliverance. You'll either travel the highway, God's hidden highway to safety, or you'll set an open target in no man's land. That's what we're going to see in Exodus chapter 14. Of course, this is the story of the children of Israel exiting Egypt. Exodus 14, verse 1 to 3. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahirah between Migdol and the sea over against Belzephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For pharaoh will save the children of israel they are entangled in the wilderness and in the land and the wilderness has shut them in these people are, are camping on god's highway they're they're out they're doing the the exit the way god had instructed to do and so as far as they know everything is just going fine now he's what he's done here is he's entrapped egypt not israel that's right but it's going to appear as though Israel's trapped Exodus 13 verse 17 as far as Moses knows this is the only reason God gives him for why they're stopping where they're stopping Exodus 3 uh, 13 verse 17 and it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the uh, let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines That's the traditional route. People want to say that they exited. That would be called the Sea of Reeds. It's real shallow. Although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. So as far as Moses knows, that's enough reasoning that God's given him. God doesn't give you all the information all at once. We're not going to get the the true information behind this whole thing until we get to Psalms. Psalms 77. Psalms 77 verse 19. This is the information they didn't have. Psalm 77:19 says "Thy way in the sea." okay? So God has a highway planted in the ocean. who would have thought? and thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known in first corinthians ten thirteen, he says there's no temptation you ta- taken you but such as is common to man but god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it so what he's done is he's given them an apparent dead end that's the sea right there you don't go in there if they were going to cross the sea, they would have done it way back in chapter 13, verse 27, where they could have just crossed the Sea of Reeds the easy way. But now they've got an ocean in front of them, the Red Sea at at its depth. But he says, hey, look, it's not going to overtake you. I've set this whole thing up on purpose because there's a highway in there nobody knows about. And he didn't tell them about it. He didn't tell their leader about it. God does that a lot. He did. He only gives us the pertinent information. He told Moses, I'm not leading them through the sea of reeds. And then he gave him a reason lest they see war and turn back to Egypt. But he didn't tell the people that. He told Moses that. So you're on a limited need-to-know basis with God. That's the way he works. If we knew everything, we would be scared to death. (laughs) Exodus 14, verse 4. Exodus 14:4. 4. So here's the introduction God gives Moses to encourage the people. Exodus 14:4, 4. "And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. Okay, so if we're told this, Let's put ourselves in the crowd. If we're told this, we show up at the Red Sea, well, I'm guessing he's going to destroy them before we get our next marching orders. Well, that wasn't the plan either. He just leaves things to to give you an ability to have faith in the unknown. (laughs) Look at Exodus 14, verse 8. Exodus fourteen eight, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt well that's what he said he was gonna do and he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with a high hand okay a high hand this is important to know that means God's hand was high not theirs it's a high hand from God otherwise they wouldn't be budging remember the best they could do was be a slave The highest their hand reached was, um, you know, I'll be a slave to that man. I'll be a slave to that man. I'll build Ramses. I'll, I'll make your treasure city for you. Look at chapter 15, verse 6. We find out about this hand. Chapter 15, verse 6. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces thy enemy. Okay, so it was a high hand they went out with because it was God's hand. In verse 12, Thou stretched out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Mm -hmm. So God's right hand can do all kinds of things. Not like what our hand could do. Uh, Moses could stretch forth a rod and do a lot of things. But God's hand can do more than we can imagine. It just shows up when it's needed and it seems like it's at the very last minute daniel 5 verse 23 let's see his hand again daniel 5 verse 23 mm-hmm. daniel 523 daniel of course is given this interpretation and then he's going to give a little sermon he said but has list lifted up thyself against the lord of heaven And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast uh, praised the gods of silver and gods of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, Hast thou not glorified? So Egypt doesn't realize it, but the same God whose hand created all of the plagues also holds their very breath. The other thing he holds is their way. He set this whole thing up so Egypt is going to follow them That's right. because he's controlling their path as well. Look at Psalms 10, verse 14. Psalms 10:14. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite. Why does he do that? To requite it with thy hand. Okay, God's going to pay it back with this same powerful hand that worked all kinds of havoc in Egypt And the same hand that holds your very breath that allows you to live. He says, I'm looking down and I'm seeing mischief and spite. Okay, those are intentions of the heart. And I'm going to repay them. I'm going to requite it. For the poor committeth himself unto thee, thou art the helper of the fatherless. Okay, he likes somebody to look to him and say, we're poor and we got a need here. Well, they did have a need. They're looking at Egypt on one side, a Red Sea on the other. You better believe they felt poor and needy. <laughs> okay, so we've seen them camp near God's highway, even though they didn't realize it. Let's look at the reality of the roadblock. Exodus fourteen nine. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. Okay, he didn't just pull out a few. He said, we're going to be done with these guys once and for all. Get everybody. You know, slap a Band-Aid on that chariot and get it rolling. And his horsemen and his armies and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Parhara before Belzephon. They are stuck now. (laughs) He can see them. They can see him. He's there. Their worst nightmare has just come true. They had just received what they thought was the greatest news of their existence. They're free from Pharaoh. They're heading out. They've been going now for days, and everything's hunky-dory. But something changed real quick. Pharaoh decided he wasn't going to let them go that easy. There's a phrase that uh, we've all heard called the devil in the deep blue sea. Everybody know that phrase. It's not a movie. It's not a book. It's a phrase that means something. There's several ideas of what it means, but here's the, the nautical meaning behind it. The devil is the name for the longest seam of a wooden ship. It ran from the bow to the stern, from the bow to the stern. When at sea, the devil had to be caulked. The sailors would sit in a bosun chair to do so. Now, that sounds romantic, but it's not. It's a harness that suspend you out over the edge of the ship Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) he was suspended between the devil and the sea a very peculiar uh how do you say that word y'all got it position (laughs) especially when the ship was underway if sailors fell uh they would either land on the deck the plank called the devil or in the water either option is fatal Um, filling the seam that they need to fill in is called paying the devil because you had to fill it with cock. So that's another expression we get from this same thing. Also called the devil to pay. Um, You get many different phrases from that. No sooner had Israel left Egypt than they found themselves in this same position. They were between the devil, Egypt, and the sea, the Red Sea. Um, reality was telling them by just using their eyes, the devil has got you. But God, the Lord says in the first part of that chapter, I'll fight for you. I'm going to be honored on Egypt and Pharaoh. The devil can only be defeated by God's power. We know that. When brought face to face with the devil and the deep blue sea, our heavenly captain is on the scene. If you don't have this, Captain, your peril is inevitable. There's no way around it. The sea and the devil with open arms wait to engulf your soul. Beyond that, the sea is no escape. You can't just commit suicide and jump in the sea. In life's problems, sometimes it seems best just to throw your hands up and say, I give up. That's not the answer. That's right. There is an answer. You have to find the answer. Giving up is no answer. Look at um, Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 13. Revelation 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up. D- delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So, this, jumping in the sea is no option, because God's going to pull them up out of the sea and then give them some more judgment. He said in Ephesians six. Finally, Ephesians six verse ten. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay, so the option is not jump in the sea. The option is fight the devil. The question is how. And that's what God will give you the answer to. That's Ephesians 610 to 11. Okay, so we saw them camping at God's highway. The reality of the roadblock. Now let's look at them seeing but not perceiving. That's our problem We see things, but we don't understand them. (laughs) We just don't. That's what the Bible's all about. It's to give you understanding. The book of Proverbs was written to give simple people, which is what we all are in comparison to God, simple people, wisdom. That's what God has. Look at Exodus 14, verse 10. Exodus 14, 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. The children of Israel's eyes were open, but their mind was closed. They saw Pharaoh and Egypt, but they didn't see God in it. They couldn't imagine what they couldn't see with their eyes. In Genesis 3.5 is a famous verse. The devil talks, and he says, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof your eyes shall be opened. Your eyes being open is not your greatest benefit. Your mind being in line with God's, that's your best benefit. That's right. He says, And you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Well, obviously that didn't work out too well. In <laughs> Psalms 106, verse 7, Psalms 106, verse 7. God expects us to do what's humanly um, against our nature. It's against our nature to see Egypt and Pharaoh on one side and a dead end on the other and say, God's got this, ain't no problem. (laughs) Because your eyes don't tell you that. That's right. Psalms 106, verse 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt, they remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even the Red Sea. So it didn't take very many days before Israel is making God mad. <laughs> it doesn't take us long either. You can go from Bible reading to two minutes later ignoring him, saying, I've got to handle these problems, <laughs> when he doesn't want you to. Look at uh, verse 43, Psalms 106, verse 43. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. That's what happens when we depend on our eyes is we take counsel with ourself by ignoring God's counsel. The great thing about the Bible is it sees something you can't. And it'll give you the counsel for how to handle what's ahead because your eyes won't tell you the right thing. They'll tell you, I see this and I see that and it makes sense. But read your Bible. God doesn't like to deal in what we call human sense. He <laughs> goes just the opposite of it. Nonsense. Right. Look at uh, the next thing they do is they, they're <coughs> humanizing, humanizing God with man's reasoning. They want to put God down on a human level and say, if God were here, it would just make sense for him to do this or do that. We can't do that. We've got to elevate our mind to God's level, not the other way around. Look at Exodus 14, verse 13. Exodus 14, verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. For the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now that sounds like a great little message, doesn't it? But where's the basis for it? Did God tell him to say any of that? Doesn't say he did. Now we can go back to verse 1 and 2 and find where God says what he's going to do in verse 2 he says speaking to the children of israel that they may turn into camp so forth so on and then verse 3 he says uh, for pharaoh will say uh, and then god says in verse 4 i'll harden his heart and i'll be honored on him so moses has pulled out what he's transcribed as now the message bible and he's given the people the general idea of what god had said and he's making it current and applicable to their times. And he's saying, hey look, just stand still, stay right where you are, God's handling this. Well, that's not what God said. God said he was going to handle it, but he didn't say stand still. No, he, said, go. he never told them to stop. That's right. You only stand on command. If God says stop, then you stop. But once he says go, you keep moving until he says stop. And he had not told them to stop. Look at um, Psalms 106, verse 32. Psalms 106, verse 32. They angered him also at the waters of strife so that it went ill with Moses for their sake because they provoked his spirit so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. Okay, Moses thought he needed to have an answer. He had to tell them something. We don't always have the answer that can come out of our mouth. <laughs> I mean, it would have just been better for Moses to say, "Hey, I don't know God, how God intends to handle this, but we do know what he said. He said he's going to be honored on Pharaoh. So he said, keep moving. There's a C here. Let's just keep moving. (laughs) Now, that doesn't make much sense, does it? He's not in the business of making sense for you. That's right. (laughs) That's not his job. Your job is obedience. He's superior. Uh, Look at uh, the next thing we'll see is partial obedience. Exodus 14, verse 15. Exodus 14, 15. God's the only one that can give victory. We know that. And Israel knew that. That's the only way they got out of Egypt. They understood that. But it just doesn't stick with us very long, does it? <laughs> Why listen to anybody else? Exodus 14, verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore cries thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. <coughs> so Moses gave them a good speech. He put himself out there and he said, Look, you're not going to see these people again after today. They're just going to be all gone. And so now all of a sudden we see what's going on in private. Moses runs into his tent, gets down on his knees and says, Hey, help. You know, I just told these people you were going to do something. Now get down here and do it. Watch God's reply. What are you talking to me about? I never told you to tell them anything. Tell them to go forward. I never told anybody to stop. It doesn't make sense, but he's not in the business of making sense. Look at um, chapter 13, verse 17. I'm going to show you something. Chapter 13, verse 17. This is their exit. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the, pe- uh, had let the people go, that God led them, Now Moses is the one physically with his feet on the ground, but it's God that's doing the leading. (coughs) Everything's good right here. That's perfect. That's the way it's supposed to be. So let's count their trip. Verse 37. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides uh, children. Okay, so that's day one. Day one they travel from Ramses to Succoth. That's chapter 12 verse 37. Exodus. Oh, I didn't tell you. Exodus chapter 12 verse 37. Well, we were supposed to memorize all this, Yes, that. Yeah, we have the, the book of the first 5 books of the Bible you should have memorized. I know right. The children of Israel had to do it. I don't know why y'all can. It, it, oh yeah, no, they they memorized <laughs> it. They it later, but these this group just
1: did it. Oh all yeah, these
0: memorize. people did. Yeah, children of Israel. Be. The 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 tribes had to memorize it. Mm-hmm. Um, look at that's day one. Mm-hmm. Now let's find day two, verse twenty. Exodus thirteen twenty. I didn't tell you, Jeff. Exodus thirteen twenty. Well you know we don't have it memorized now, boss. So. I know it now. Yep, y'all been lazy. <laughs> day two. Exodus thirteen twenty. And they took their journey from Sokoth and in camp. In Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. So this is day two. Two days they've been on the journey. The journey began because God's leading them. Day one, no problems. Day two, doing good, now we're setting up camp, the edge of the wilderness, not a big problem. Look at chapter 14, verse 2. This is going to be day three. Speaking to the children of Israel, that they turn into camp before Pihira, between Migdal and the sea over against bel Zephon, before it shall you encamp by the sea. This is day three. Day three, everything fell apart. It didn't take them but three days out of Egypt, and everything that they thought they knew about God was gone. Don't lose what you've learned from God because a problem says there's an issue. Because problems love to exalt themselves above everything you know about God. What you know about God is more important than what your eyes see. That's right. Here's what should have happened. Here's what should have happened. When Moses showed up there, after they had camped, that morning when they got up, this is what they should have done. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua gets to replay many of Moses' problems. But Joshua has the benefit of knowing the right answer. You'll get your problems <laughs> in multiples because God expects you to fail them. Yes. <laughs> and then he expects you to learn from it and get the answer. Then he's going to give it to you again until you pass it. Joshua 3, verse 2. And it came to pass after three days, same thing that Moses had, that the officers went through the host. Jump down to verse 13. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that came down from above, and they shall stand up on a heap. Okay there it is if moses had just stepped in the water it would have split no wonder he says tell them just to go on because his plan was just to open it up as soon as they got in there moses was three days out just like joshua was three days out we see it replay now joshua has watched life he's watched the problem he's found the answer so now he's going to do it the correct way that's good that's good that's what we need to do in our own life that's right okay so we saw the partial obedience now let's see the reassuring savior your failure is not the end of the world (laughs) god's still faithful to us exodus 14 verse 16. god has just told them hey don't come crying to me tell them to keep moving but he says okay i see you're having trouble with this verse 16 But, lift thou up thy rod. Remember, the Jews require a sign. So he says, okay, look, you you haven't figured out faith yet. Okay, you should have just kept on moving, but I understand what you like. So I'm going to give you what you like. You stand out there and hold your rod up. Now, how long do you think he's holding this rod up? (laughs) There's a lot of people here. Lift up thy rod, stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. Well, to me, that's just as complicated as, as walking right into it. Okay, take your stick out there and go divide the water. Yeah, and the children of Israel shall go on dry land, uh, shall go d- on dry ground, through the midst of the sea. So he does that. Look at chapter 15, verse 8. Chapter 15, verse 8. Now we find out what happened when Moses lifted the rod. This is the same thing that happened when um, the priest stepped into the Jordan. Here's how it really splits, if you want to see it from God's perspective. Chapter 15, verse 8. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as on the heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea god has to do something period it's not the rod it's not the feet it's god it's the only one that can handle an unideal situation and believe me they're in an unideal situation now for three days everything's been going fine but out of nowhere trouble hit your life is going to be the same out of nowhere trouble's going to hit as far as you can see it's trouble 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 no answers God doesn't want you to have all the answers. He's the one with all the answers. He just gives you the instruction for the next step. The next step was step in. Look at, um, uh, turn to Deuteronomy 1. We need to recognize from history some things. So we'll recognize the unknown. Deuteronomy chapter 1. God's battle plan always seems to be at the wrong time. (laughs) When you have life's problems, problems never happen at the best time or it wouldn't be a problem. (laughs) Problems always happen at the worst possible time. That's why it's a problem. (laughs) So let's learn from it. Let's see some problems, see God handle them, and then be prepared when we see a new one and know what's going on. Deuteronomy 1, 22. This is further information on what happened in Numbers chapter 13. So you can just keep that in mind. When you're reading through Numbers and you see them pick out the 12 spies to go spy in Canaan. This is what happened prior to that. Here's the thought process behind it. Deuteronomy 1.22 And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, that they shall search out the land, and bring us word again, by what way we must go up into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe. Okay, so God's plan wasn't... We're going to send spies into the land. That was the children of Israel's plan. They said, we like to see. God ain't operating on what you see. He sees a lot more than you could see, even if you could walk over there. We'll see that happen. Look at verse 35. The spies come back. We know the story. The spies come back. They say, the land's great, but there's big problems. (laughs) verse 35 Deuteronomy 1 surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers save that's except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Okay, so Caleb there was one spy that was good look down at verse 38 but Joshua the son of Nun which standeth before thee he shall go in thither Okay, so there's two that are good. We know the story. Ten, uh, twelve men went to spawn Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. Okay, so two of them are good. Of the twelve sent, two were good. Okay, that's something to file away. Joshua did, he learned from it. So let's find Joshua handle the situation. Joshua chapter 2. Now Joshua is going to send some men. To spy out a place they're going to go to they're going to cross the jordan river and go to jericho so he needs a spy let's find it he's not going to send 12 <laughs> that didn't work he was there he knows joshua 2 verse 1 and joshua the son of Nun sent out of shittim how many two men, two men to spy he said okay last time we did this we sent 12 only two turned back with the right answer. This time we're going to shortcut it. The ten I'm going to cut off from the top. We're just sending two. (laughs) Smart. He learned from life. We need to do it. Exodus 14 verse 2. Exodus 14 verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihira between Migdal and the sea over against Belzephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say, Okay, so now we know how the devil talks. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Well, we can hear the world talk all day long. Some people choose to listen to it when they don't have to. But you'll hear them talk, but don't let it enter your heart. Look at verse 11. Here the children of Israel begin to talk. Notice the similarity. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus uh, with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? is not this the word that we did tell thee in egypt saying let us alone that we may serve the egyptians for it had been better for us to serve the egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness okay now the children of israel are sounding just like pharaoh god said pharaoh's not going to understand this that's the reason i brought him out here i'm going to be honored on him well rather than siding with god they jumped aside with pharaoh They've joined the enemy's team. No wonder they angered him at the water of the Red Sea. What was your reference? That's Exodus fourteen eleven to twelve. God's battle plan seems to be at the wrong time all the time. Look at uh, First Chronicles chapter twelve. When a problem strikes, it's not a problem. It just appears that way. First Chronicles 12:15. The Jordan River was just as much a dawning scene as what the Red Sea was. And you can see it right here. First Chronicles 12, verse 15. These are they that went over Jordan in the first month when it had overflown all its banks. Okay? So, the Jordan River, not only being a big river, has now swelled, it's overflowed its banks. So, this is the worst possible time to try to cross it. Okay, that's perfect. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And they put to flight all of them of the valleys, both toward the east and toward the west. <clears throat> not only did they cross it, but they won, they conquered. That's the way God intends us to do. The swelling of Jordan and the deep waters of the Red Sea are not for your destruction. They're an ambush for God's enemy. That's right. The problem you see ahead of you is not a problem. It's supposed to appear that way. Not for you, but for the enemy. God's not going to lay all his cards out on the table for the world to know. He's there to ambush them. He's going to trap them. Let's see this summed up and the importance of the Red Sea and the Jordan in one passage. It's going to have to do with the destruction of Edom. Jeremiah 49. Jeremiah 49, verse 18 to 22. Jeremiah 49, verse 18 to 22. If you want to read a whole book on this same subject, you can do it. It's Obadiah. A whole book It's one chapter from like 20 verses. <laughs> Jeremiah forty nine eighteen. As in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities thereof, saith the Lord, no man shall abide thee, neither shall the son of man dwell in it. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan, that's what we've been reading about, and against the habitation of the strong, but I will suddenly make him run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? Who will I appoint? Who will appoint me the time? And who is the shepherd that will stand before me? Therefore, hear the counsel of the Lord, that He hath taken against Edom, and His purpose that He hath purposed against the inhabitants of Teman. Surely, the least of the flock shall draw them out. Well, that's not what you would imagine. <laughs> you wouldn't imagine the weakest person being able to conquer. Edom and Teman this great fortress that's uh, Petra surely he shall make their inhabitants desolate with them okay this is talking I'm going to give you the doctrinal side of this this is talking about why and explaining to you why Petra is empty today because God emptied it out he's got a purpose for it he emptied it Um, verse 21 The earth is moved at the noise of their fall. At the cry of the noise thereof was heard, where? In the Red Sea. Okay, they're crying out to their partners. The devil has just been swallowed by the Red Sea. Now when God in the future destroys their kinfolk, they're calling out to the Red Sea because that's where their family is. Verse 22. Behold, he shall come up and fly as the eagle and spread his wings over Basra. And at that day shall the heart of the mighty men of Edom be as the heart of woman in her pangs. The swelling of Jordan and the depths of the Red Sea are problems, but they're not problems for you and me. They're problems for the enemy. God intends your problems to appear like problems. That's his intention. Don't say I wish I had no problems because God intends you to have problems. Yes, Because that's an ambush. He's setting a trap for the enemy. Now, you've got a real problem if you side with the problem. The children of Israel shouldn't have sided with Egypt and said you brought us out here to die. No he didn't. He brought them out there to deliver them. Um, Alright, that's Chapter fourteen, as fast as we can do it. (laughs) As one little story, there's a bunch of great stories in the Old Testament. What I can't get over is, people say I'm going to start reading my Bible, and they say I'm going to start somewhere in the New Testament. Okay, let's think about it. You've got a book that is. Let me let me find it here. Um, Just for a visual sake. Let me find. so you can you can this there's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament big difference big, big difference okay so if I say hey look I'm gonna start in the New Testament somewhere look what you've missed <laughs> look how much you missed two-thirds of it I wouldn't if I sent you a letter I wouldn't want you to start two thirds the way down it you don't read any other book like that you get the book and say ah, I'm going to start uh, chapter 45 of 53 <laughs> you don't do it that way you do the Bible the same way so I like to, to tell these Old Testament stories now you can of course use the New Testament for it that's why it's there but we got to grasp this Old Testament it's good he made it big on purpose. There's a lot in there we need to know. So let's not just run to the New Testament and say it's all about these few principles here. You gotta have that Old Testament. You've got to learn it. He said, all these things were written for our admonition. Okay, so there are examples. Well, if you don't know them, you're going to be just like the children of Israel when Joshua shows up. Joshua shows up and he says, I've been there. I've experienced the Old Testament. I understand what to do. When we get to Jordan, we're going to do it this way. When I decide to send spies in, we're going to do it this way because I've seen the example. Okay, we get to see the example. That's the Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, we'll understand how to apply it for our life. All right, let's pray and we'll eat. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would take the principles that you have here in uh, the Bible and we would apply them to the current events that happen and that we would uh, view you as in control and um, our problems as um, minor. And uh, thank you for the food that we're going to eat. In your name we pray. Amen.